0: I've had plenty of memorable hiking experiences. Um, some a whole lot of fun, some maybe not so fun. I may or may not have been lost in the woods at one point, depending on who you ask. Um, I, uh, there was one hiking experience I'll never forget where a buddy's boot fell apart a mile into a 15-mile hike or so. And uh, we duct-taped it back together, and it was, it was, it was pretty awesome and memorable as he hiked with a duct tape boot, the rest of the uh, the trip out of the woods. Uh, I've taken some awesome pictures of some cool photography in the middle of the woods on hiking trails. And but there's one instance about eight years ago, around this time of year, that I will never, ever, ever forget. We were hiking uh, down on the uh, it's called the Shelter We Trace. It's a 300 some mile hike from Tennessee up through Kentucky. Uh, it ends up around Red River Gorge. And, uh, maybe some of you may have been on parts of that before. We saw some awesome waterfalls and some cool, uh, scenery. And I was loving it. We were, I was with two of my buddies and it was a Friday night and all day Saturday trip. We were trying to knock out, um, a leg of that, uh, a leg of that hike. The weather was perfect. It was this time of year. It was, it was a really good trip. And, um, sometime Saturday morning, I can't remember when exactly it was, we were hiking down by the river and going along the, the trail that led right by the river. And, uh, um, I was in the back of the pack at this point. There was, we were walking three. uh, We couldn't walk side by side, so we were walking single file. I was in the back of the pack. I was in the pack. I was in the front of the pack that morning. I know because I knocked out about about 12 to 15 spider webs on the trail um, as we got going that morning. And if you've ever hiked in the morning, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, My face, you know, uh, found them uh, right there. Um, But uh, I was in the back of the pack, thankfully this time we were down by the river and uh, what i never forget this statement too we we started to come across some bamboo and uh stalks and they were growing up and my buddy one of the one of them he's, he's pretty he he knows all the he knows everything in the woods he knows what plants what and all this stuff and he's he's really knowledgeable and he said you know guys he's like you know it's from my experience usually around the bamboo is where you'll find the copperheads i was like hmm didn't really give it a second thought. Until literally, I'm not lying, one minute later, it, it might have been less than one minute later, we're hiking along, you know, I'm looking around, all of a sudden I, we come to a stop, you know, they stop right in front of me, I stop, and next thing I hear is pop, 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 pop. My buddy up front may or may not have been illegally carrying his Glock. Um, and uh, I, after the dust settled, I and my heart started beating again i walked up we we kind of looked up and he said laying in the trail hidden was about a 4 to 5 foot copperhead and um and it it was it was no longer with us um at that point thankfully hallelujah right hallelujah um it was no or i wouldn't have been up there if it was if it was uh, still with us but it was hidden there laying in the trail i I would have never seen it. If I was out front, I probably wouldn't be here today. I, I wouldn't have seen it. I wouldn't, I, would, I wouldn't thinking. I wasn't looking for that. Let me tell you, my eyes never left the trail where my foot stepped the rest of that day, though. I, and ever since then, I'm, I'm a little more cautious. But it was silent, hidden, and deadly. Right there in the middle of the trail, walking where we are, laying where we were walking, and uh, scary, scary. Uh, and actually that wasn't our only instance, uh, with copperheads that day. Uh, a little later on during lunch, I was, uh, we were finishing lunch and I was standing in this, this one spot eating lunch. I was sitting on a rock and I stood up and took my pot of hot water. We were boiling ramen as, you know, you do when you're hiking and you don't want to carry much weight. And so I just dumped out the pot of water right here and it beside me and in, it's out squirted another copperhead, a baby copperhead right across the tips of my boots off into the woods. And uh, I, I tell you, I, I, again, that trip was memorable um, because uh, of, of those things. You know, that snake was so close. If it was a snake, it would have... Wait, never mind. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Thankfully, it didn't bite me. It didn't bite me, okay? Um, but again, my eyes never left the trail the rest of the trip. But today, we're going to look at something um, equally deadly, equally hidden. It's silent, it's sneaky, and uh, we are under attack. Um, and I want to warn you about that just like Jesus did here in our text. Um, let's back up and go back to verse 11. As we look into our text this morning to see what's going on in this passage here. Um, the, let's read, verse, read verses 11 and 12. It says, the Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, seeking from Him a sign uh, from heaven to test Him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Um, so Jesus here is, is, is with his disciples and the Pharisees come up and they were, they're trying to test him and they're trying to look for a sign. And Jesus, give us a sign to, to prove to us that you are who you say you are and and. Like He hadn't already done that numerous times. Um, like He hadn't just done that in the beginning of this chapter where Jesus doesn't just heal the, or heal or feed the 5,000 like we talked about a, a week or so ago from chapter 6. In the beginning of chapter 8, He feeds 4,000 people. Uh, and, all, and that's just, uh, again, just the men. Uh, another group. So Jesus had done miracle after miracle, but yet they asked Him, we want to see another Another sign. You know. And so Jesus said, You know, I'm not going to give you another sign. And no sign, no other sign will be given to this generation. In verse 13, it says that and then he left them, he got into the boat again and went to the other side. So just like we've been learning about in our study mark, they're constantly going from one side of the sea to the other side. And so we Jesus does this. They got him and the disciples. They get back in the boat. They go across to the other side. In verse 14, it says, "Now they had forgotten to bring bread." And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And that's kind of that, that verse is kind of setting the context for for what Jesus is about to say, so it kind of understands where what's getting ready to happen. So they didn't have any bread with them, and they only had one loaf there in the boat. And in verse 15 is where we started, uh, as we read a little earlier. And Jesus cautioned them, saying, "Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod." So Jesus is warning them to watch out for the leaven. Uh, he was watching them for something uh, like I, like my friend was warning us for what lurks around around the bamboo on a trail. Uh, he was warning them of something very deadly, something very sinister. He was saying, "Watch out of the leaven. The leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of here." Now leaven is yeast, and we'll talk a little bit more about it later. But it was in the bread that they so often made. And specifically, what Jesus was warning about, we'll talk generally about this in a little bit, but specifically what Jesus is warning the Pharisee or the, the disciples about, the Pharisees, and about Herod is this. We learn in a little more clearly uh, stated in Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells them in that text that he, specifically the, the problem, the leaven of the, of the Pharisees is specifically hypocrisy. He's saying, watch out for the hypocrisy of uh, of the Pharisees. See, hypocrisy is dangerous. It puffs us up. It spreads rapidly through us and it perverts and corrupts us. See, the Pharisees, they were so concerned with their outside appearance. They They were so concerned about the way they appeared on the outside to everybody else, but they ignored that on the inside they were corrupt. That's hypocrisy. They were claiming to be righteous when inwardly they were very, very wicked. And in reality, they're just like you and just like me. And Jesus is warning them of the of the sin of hypocrisy, and and it's a big deal. And the real the reason why that hypocrisy is such a big deal, because it denies the gospel and it denies the grace of God. See, when we're so busy proving to everybody and proving to the world, proving to our family, proving to our neighbors, proving to our coworkers that we're good people and that we're righteous on our own, what we're doing is we're denying the gospel. We're not surrendered to Jesus. We're not admitting our sin and trusting Him for His grace. And we're not clinging to the cross alone. We're depending on ourselves. What is exactly opposite of what we should be doing. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. Um, They were stating that we have everything in ourselves that we need, which again goes exactly against the gospel. Now, later on in in Scripture, we're not told what the leaven of Herod is, but we can maybe make some assumptions that it might have been pride. Uh, We have already learned through the study of Mark what happened with John the Baptist and Herod in in the battle that went on there. And it was because of Herod's pride that he killed John the Baptist. It made him do what he knew to be wrong and kept him from doing what was right because of his pride in his heart. He, he didn't want to, uh, if you remember if we, when we studied that, John the Baptist was in prison. Why? Because he was afraid of him. Because, he was, uh, because his pride uh, was welling up inside his heart. And then it got even worse when he uh, made a promise to his stepdaughter. I'll give you up to half the kingdom, whatever you ask. And she said, I want John's head on a platter. And Herod Herod had to do what he had said he was going to do because he was before a crowd of people. If he would have gone back on it, then he would have been humiliated in front of them. And his pride caused him to do an awful deed in killing John the Baptist. In the end, a pride tells you and it tells me that our world revolves around us. It tells us that we are the center of the universe. It doesn't tell us the truth. And the truth is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. And we should be falling down and worshiping Him. And following Him as Lord of this world and universe. But pride tells us a lie. It tells us that we are the center. And that the world revolves around us. And that is not the case. So Jesus is warning them about this. And as we're learning through this study of Mark that we've been going through, the disciples, they constantly miss the point, and this is no exception. Because look what happens in verse number 16 as we continue on here through our text. In verse 16 it says, And they, the disciples, began dis- discussing with one, uh, with one another the fact that they had no bread. So now they started discussing the fact that, hey, wait, we have no bread. Jesus is talking about leaven. He's warning us about leaven. He's talking about bread. Hey, guys, we blew it. We forgot to bring bread again. Remember back when they were uh, in the wilderness and Jesus brought them to the wilderness there and they had no bread. He's thinking, guys, we blew it again. We forgot to bring bread again. I can see it in my mind. I can see Peter blaming it on John. John, it was your turn to bring bread this time. You didn't do it. It's your fault. I can see Thomas, he wasn't any help. He doubted if he remembered correctly who was to blame to begin with. Uh, Andrew, he just immediately started looking for little boys with lunches, you know, trying to fix the problem. Uh, Judas, uh, he probably didn't think they needed any bread because uh, they should give the money to uh, the, the poor and do all that. And And in fact, he probably knew who was at fault and he was usually sure to betray their confidence and spill the beans and, you know, let the cat out of the bag about that. Matthew, he was probably just thinking in his mind, calculating, you know, how many times they've uh, forgot to bring bread in recent weeks. They missed the point, though. They missed the point. Jesus was warning them about the leaven of the Pharisees, not because they forgot bread. Yeah, of course Jesus knew that they only had one loaf of bread. But again, as we're going to see, look, look, at, look at verse 17, what Jesus responds to them. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them... Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? He's like, guys, don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said unto him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said unto him, seven. And he said unto them, do you not yet understand? See, they completely missed the point. Jesus was telling him, guys, I'm not talking about bread at all. My warning has nothing to do with what we put into our mouths. He says, guys, haven't you figured this out yet? Back, I don't know how long ago, we were there with Thousands and thousands of people, we had no bread, and I took five loaves, and we fed over 5,000 people. It was probably five times that. He says, guys, I have no problem providing bread. And then just recently, we had 4,000 people around. And guys, again, we didn't have enough bread then, but that wasn't a problem either. Guys, don't you get it? It's more than that. It's bigger than that. I'm not talking about bread. But however, I am talking about something very, very, very important. And it's that truth that Jesus was trying to teach them that I want to teach you today. It's an incredibly important teaching. An incredibly important warning that if we miss... Our lives will end up where we don't want them to end up. The disciples, they missed it. Let's make sure that we don't today. Let's go back to verse 15 is where we started. And I want to read that verse one more time together. Because this is the point that Jesus is trying to make It, them. He's cautioning them. He's warning them. This is a big deal. And he says, watch out. Beware. Of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Jesus is talking about leaven, but what's the big deal about leaven? What's the big deal about it? Well, first of all, what is leaven? Well, leaven is another word that we use for yeast. Okay, Yeast is basically, it's a single-celled fungus or bacteria uh, that's used by bakers. They put it in, the d- in dough and it causes the dough, when they bake it, it causes it, to rise and make bread, okay? They would pinch off just a little bit of yeast and they would put it in the dough that they just freshly made and they would knead it and they would move it around and the yeast would spread through the dough and it would rise. An example, for example, um, unleavened bread, uh, bread that doesn't have leaven, is flat crackers. Okay, like we use for uh, when we take the, uh, the Lord's supper. It's flat when it's baked. It doesn't rise. Now, leavened bread, a great example, my probably my favorite example of this, is when you go to Texas Roadhouse and they bring out those freshly baked rolls. I mean, they're they're massive and, and they're so good. They bring out that that good uh, cinnamon butter too. Just amazing. That's an example of leavened bread where it has yeast in it, where it rises. But in the Bible, leaven is used as a metaphor almost every time it's used as a metaphor for the invisible spread of sin. That's what Jesus is warning the Pharisees about. And that's why this is such a big deal. That's why he's saying, guys, guys, no, you're missing the point. I'm not talking about the the bread that you don't have with you today. I don't care if you didn't bring any bread because I can take no bread and turn it into a feast that feeds thousands. Stadiums full of people. I can do that. That's no problem. He says, guys, I'm warning you about a greater problem than not having something to eat. I'm warning you about the hidden, invisible problem of sin that's going on in your hearts and in your lives. And today, I want to talk to you about the danger of sin. Just like we sung about this morning in one of the songs we sang about, my mind was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't the serpent, right, that bit them. It wasn't the serpent that bit, it was the sin that bit and destroyed their life. It's the sin that is dangerous. Yes, I'm scared of snakes. Yes, I hate snakes. But the snake in the Garden of Eden wasn't the problem. It was the sin that they gave into. It was the pride. It was the it was the pride of life. It was the, the, the sin of the flesh. It was the, the, the pride of the, uh, the sin of the, the eyes, the lust of the eyes that they gave into. It was sin that was the danger in the Garden of Eden. And it's the sin that is the danger of your life as well if you don't take care of it. So, today I want to look at three simple ways that that sin is like leaven. The first one is this sin is hidden. Sin is hidden. If you were to take a lump of dough, two lumps of dough, one dough lump of dough, set it here, and, and if I did an object lesson this morning, which I, I obviously didn't, i take one batch of dough that has leaven and one batch of dough that doesn't have leaven in it or yeast in it. You, to the naked eye, and me to the naked eye, would not be able to figure out which one is which. In fact, I probably would get lose track of which one I put it in and which one I didn't put it in. Until... It was baked. And then obviously one would be flat and one would rise. Because yeast or leaven is is hidden. Um, You can't tell when it's in there. The same exact way sin is hidden in your heart and in my heart. And it's impossible to tell on the outside how saturated our lives are with sin. Today you dressed up and you took a shower and you put on some smell good stuff probably and you came to church and you're excited to see everybody and as I look out across this crowd I see a bunch of great people but in reality looking out across the crowd and you looking at this one person up here what you see what we see is sinners battling sin problems deep embedded inside of our hearts. I don't care how well we clean up the outside. There is a hidden danger of sin inside. That is, uh, v- again, very, very dangerous. Our sin problem is dangerous. Your sin and my sin problem is far worse than we ever realize or admit because it's hidden and because we can't see it and we don't recognize it for how bad it really is. See, we're external, observational people. We look at the external and we see we see the external. If you, Today you're cleaned up and looking sharp today. You know, I'm going to look at you and say, man, pretty good person, right? Because we look at the external. You know, if somebody wandered in here today and, and, and again, you know what I'm talking about. They looked like they had the marks of sin all over them. They look hungover, they look, uh, messed up, and, you know, they look like they haven't showered in weeks and dirty clothes and ragged and, and, and again, we would, uh, bloodshot eyes, everything. You know, we would look at them and say, sin sin's got a hold of them. But see, the truth is, is sin has a hold of me just as much as it has a hold of that other person. Or it can have a hold of them, no matter how much we clean up the external. But see, we see the external and we don't pay attention to the internal war that goes on. It's kind of like a a text in the Bible that that I'm familiar with, that you're familiar with as well, where there's a guy that was beat up laying on the side of the road, right? Right? There was somebody who stopped by and helped that guy. Who was it? Was it the priest? Was it the rabbi that externally looked like a holy man of God they would have said back then? No. It was the Samaritan. The guy that the Jews wouldn't have anything to do with. See, again... Our righteousness is not of our own. If we have any good in us at all, it's all because of Christ. It's not because of us. It has nothing to do with how good we are. Because in the end, all of our uh, trying to do good is just polishing up the outside. Only Jesus can defeat sin and destroy sin in our hearts. But you and I, we're... Uh, We look on the external instead of the internal. Jesus sees the opposite. He sees through the external into the internal, and sin is not as primarily external as primarily internal, which is why Jesus attacked that regularly. Jesus didn't deal as much with the external stuff, did he? He dealt with the motivational. He dealt with the thoughts. He dealt with the intentions of our hearts. Why? Because Jesus knew where the problem really existed deep down in our hearts, where it's hidden. And the problem is, is that since our sin is primarily internal, most of us don't believe we have a sin problem. Most of us think we're pretty good people. Most of us think we've got this figured out. I've got this Christian life figured out. I'm doing pretty good. But the danger is, is that's usually when sin is the most dangerous, when we think we have it figured out, when we don't realize it's laying there, hidden underneath the surface, just waiting to strike. See, the Pharisees, they would have been model church members. They would have been modeled model church, but Jesus said they're hypocrites because the sin had permeated their life and it was hidden underneath and nobody else could see it. So the question is, how do I not become that? How do I not become a Pharisee where, that just cleans up the outside? How do I rec- recognize the hidden internal problem of sin that's lying deep down inside of my heart? You know, this may be the most important thing I say today. There is a way to take care of the hidden problem in your heart. And the only way to take care of the hidden problem in your heart is through the gospel. Through the gospel. Today, you must recognize your sin. You must repent of your sin and turn to Christ. Believe the gospel. Believe what Jesus did for you, not what you are doing for yourself. That is the only way to defeat sin. But how do we recognize sin? How do I recognize sin? And tell whether it's sin that's controlling my life and dominating my heart. How do I tell? Here's how you can tell. And again, this is, to me, this is revolutionary. This, this has changed the outlook of the way I've seen myself and, and helped me recognize sin. Because so often, let me just stop and maybe you're like me. Sometimes we get so caught up, we think everything's alright. We think, man, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm showing up to church. I'm, you know, I'm being a pretty good person. I'm alright. But in reality, we're so close to danger and we don't even recognize. How can we see it? This is so helpful. It's so simple too. How do I know sin is controlling my life? And here's how. It goes into the intentions, the motivations, just like Jesus did. A sin-filled life. ...is characterized by a me-first attitude. A sin-filled life is characterized by a me-first attitude. And the opposite, a spirit-filled life... ...is characterized by an other's first attitude. So what is the model of your life right now? What has been the model of your life today... Has it been me first? Or has it been others first? Now, I'm not a dangerous driver. It's kind of a weird statement to start off with. But sometimes, honestly, if I'm going to be honest, sometimes this sin reveals in my heart when I'm on the road more than anywhere else. I've got somewhere to be because my schedule is the only one that really matters, right? Right? And somebody pulls off and cuts in front of me. Now, I never do anything about it, but man, it just rages up inside of me. And, and I, I just, ah, oh, just, again, I don't tailgate them. I don't follow them. I don't do anything crazy. I, I, I I, I, again, I wouldn't put any sin past me, but I don't do that or haven't done that yet today. But I feel it rage up inside of me. Why is that? Because I'm living with a me first mentality. Why? Because sin's controlling my life. Maybe you showed up today and somebody's sitting in the seat that you usually sit in at church. and what is that? Me first. Maybe somebody's serving in the spot that you normally serve in today. Me first. Maybe you went to Kroger this week and, and you were getting, man, you saw it. The par- first parking spot right in the front is wide open. And you go up to pull in and somebody just slips in right in front of you. And, and again, it's just that, that rage just starts swelling up inside. Why? We should be all blessed their heart. I'm so glad that they could have that first spot. I'm going to go to the very back spot, right? What is the motto of your heart today? What is the matter of your heart every day? One of the greatest ways you and I can tell whether sin is dominating inside where we can't see it is the, the motivations. Am I living a me-centered, focused life? Or am I living my life focused on others? Who does your world revolve around? It's a truth that we need a good dose of every single day. Really, our world doesn't revolve around me and it doesn't even revolve around others. It revolves around Jesus Christ because He is Lord. Jesus is Lord every single day of our life. He's, he's, he's Lord today. He's Lord tomorrow. He was Lord yesterday. He will always be Lord. He will always be the King. Now, again, it has already been referenced today. No matter how chaotic and crazy our world gets, it's Jesus who's Lord. So when we must make sure we're focused on Jesus as Lord and serving other people, not on myself, because our world, my world does not revolve around me. It revolves around Jesus and revolves around serving others. And again, this truth has been so revolutionary for me because it makes obvious and that truth points out the truth to me when I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear when somebody cuts me off or when somebody takes my place or when somebody does something to hurt me or hurt my family. I don't want to hear that my life should be centered around Jesus as Lord and serving others. Why? Because I want what's mine, right? I don't want to hear that. But we need to. That's Jesus and the Spirit of God preaching the truth to our hearts saying, watch out. Beware Beware, sin is hidden and it 's dominating your life, and you don 't even know it. So today, I hope this truth is revolutionary and exposes the hidden sin of our hearts, and I hope it does every single day as you see uh, your sin uh, hidden inside of you. Well, sin is first of all it 's hidden, and I want to show you another truth, and that the way that sin is like leaven it's that this: sin also spreads sin spreads it's hidden inside of our hearts and it spreads if you were to take again going back to the dough reference illustration you were to take the dough and you were to take a a pinch just a pinch of leaven of yeast and, and put it in that dough and you were to knead it up and work that dough and it wouldn't take long by the time you're done kneading that dough and getting it ready to bake you can take and this is what bakers do they'll take another pinch of that dough off and they'll set it aside why? for next time The next time they need yeast in in the dough to make it rise. You say, well Jeremy, well, you just put a little pinch in that big thing of dough and you, is it really, can you just take a pinch off anywhere in that dough and it'll be ready for next time? Yes, it spreads that fast. Some bakers have said that you can just take ounces of yeast and it's enough to spread throughout even a 50 pound batch of dough. It spreads so fast. And that's another reason why Jesus is warning the, the disciples of the sin uh, problem in the Pharisees and in Herod and in them. Because it's not only hidden in their heart, it spreads. It spreads. Uh, my mind, when I think of this, my mind goes immediately to something that uh, pool owners love. It's called algae. That was sarcastic. Um. Yeah, we had a pool, above ground pool, where we used to live, and it was there when we bought the house, and we enjoyed it for uh, while we lived there, and it's pretty cool. Except when you know, the, everything is beautiful, blue water, everything's amazing, you know, and all of a sudden I get home from work the next day, and there's this ominous green tint on the water. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> there was one time I'll never forget. We had gone away for a weeks for a weeks vacation, and uh, I had cleaned the pool really good right before we left. I had somebody come by and put some, uh, some uh, chlorine in the pool the, the halfway through while we were gone. And we got back, and the thing was a swamp. It was awful. It was green everywhere, all across the bottom. And it's crazy how fast that algae spreads. It doesn't take much. The water is blue. It's amazing. You're wanting to swim in it. And literally by the next day, you start to see algae everywhere. And it's, how did it spread that fast? It, It blows my mind. Sin does the same thing. Sin spreads in your heart and in mine like a wildfire out of control in a dry wilderness you will never keep sin in a corner of your life you can't keep just a little bit of sin and that dough you can put a little bit of leaven and you can't just keep it there it is going to spread It, it will it's just it's I guess it's his biology, it's going to do it, okay? It's, it's, what do, it's what it does. And that's exactly what sin does in my heart and in your heart. It will spread. You can't just keep it isolated in a corner. Even though you and I try to do that. It will overtake your life and it will kill you if you don't kill it. What are some examples of sin spreading? You could probably tell some stories just like I could. There's that lie that you tell. One little lie. You know how this works, right? One little lie turns into two, three, four, ten. You can't just tell one, can you? Because it multiplies. Sin spreads. Envy. um, It spreads. Lust. It spreads. We think we have it hidden in our heart, it, but we don't know it's spreading and permeating our entire life and controlling everything about us until all of a sudden it multiplies so far out of control that we can't contain it anymore. And then it's not hidden anymore. The angry thought. Back in the county that we used to live, there were a couple teenagers. There was a, um, a young girl and a, and a guy who... Um, Never forget, I knew them. I, they came to our youth group stuff when I was a youth pastor. And uh, something happened with uh, her. She got in an argument with her parents, and before you realize it, on the news, the next morning is uh, husband and wife were murdered in their own home. and they couldn't find out who did it. Finally, uh, they found out it was the girl and her boyfriend. Killed their own parent, killed their own parents. How? That's what sin does. One little angry thought. You keep holding on to it. You just keep letting it stay. You know, I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep that grudge. I'm going to keep that bitterness, and it grows and it spreads and it spreads until all of a sudden it is completely out of control, and you will do something that you never dreamed greed. We could go on and on talking about all the sins of our flesh and our life. They are, they grow out of control. See, you and I may think that we're in control of sin, but it is sin that is in control of you. It'd be like if your neighbor, uh, inside their back fence, if they had a pet tiger. Okay. That'd be cool. Wouldn't it be to, I always thought that was cool. Mike Tyson, uh, the the boxer back in, uh, when I was growing up, he had a pet tiger in his house. I always thought, man, that's cool to have a pet tiger. Wouldn't it? Maybe you don't think that's cool. I thought that would be a cool to have a pet tiger. But you know what? I promise you this. I'd never go visit him. <laughs> never. Why? Because he, he may say, I've got it under control. <laughs> I ain't going to trust him. I ain't trusting that tiger, right? It's just like sin. We think we're in control. We think we've got it all under control. Don't worry about it. I've got it. I've got it. No, it has you. And you don't even know it. You may decide that you're done with sin. You may have this pet sin in your heart that you just keep and keep and keep, but you don't realize it. Uh, You may decide one day that you're done with that sin, but that sin, it will never be done with you. Don't baby it. Don't cultivate it. Destroy it. You may believe that you have sin contained, but it will always want more. It will always want more. And that brings us to the third thing. Away sin is like leaven and why Jesus is giving us this warning in this text. He warns us about sin because it's hidden. He warns us about sin because it spreads. And lastly, He destroys us, or he, He warns us about sin because sin destroys joy. It does. Sin, it destroys joy in my life and in yours. See, if you take dough and you put some yeast in it, what happens is it grows, it spreads all throughout that, that dough. And then it, you put it in the oven it'll bake and it'll rise. What is going on here? Here's what's going on. Now we know scientifically what's going on. When they're mixed together, um, basically the yeast, it's a, it's a living organism, it eats the sugar inside the dough. It literally eats the sweetness inside the dough. And so much that, the, uh, that it, it, again, it, it eats and eats and eats, which is why it spreads. It's eating itself through the dough. And then eventually it, it releases uh, CO2 and some other things that I'm way past my pay grade and, and causes, the, uh, causes it to release uh, uh, CO2, some gas, and that causes the bread to rise. And the long story short, it rises. That's, we'll just leave it at that. How about that? But it eats the sugar inside the dough. In fact, if you would go and take some dough and put some yeast in it and not bake it, it would actually be very, very, very bitter if you didn't bake it. If you waited too long. Because it's not sweet anymore. Because all the sugar is gone. And here's the point. You and I, if we allow sin to control our life and stay hidden and grow and spread, it will take every bit of joy in your life. It will destroy the joy in your life. Um, it'll eat it all up. Maybe you're walking around today and you're thinking, man, why am I always so sad? Why am I always discouraged? Maybe it's because you've allowed sin in your heart to eat away all the joy in your life. That's exactly what was going on in our text. If you think, who was he warning about? The Pharisees. What did the Pharisees walk around like? They walked around a bitter, grumpy group of men who were trying to point out the flaws of everybody else. Why? Because sin had destroyed the joy in their life. It'll destroy my joy, too. It'll destroy your joy if we let it. And you see, here's how sin works in our life. A lot of times. That's why it's worked in my life. Maybe it's worked in your life, too. Something bad will happen to you. Something bad will happen to you. And here's the way a lot of times we'll look at bad things that happen in our life. We'll look at them and we'll say, God, why did you allow this to happen? Or even, God, why did you do this in my life? Why did you do this to me? In reality, what we're saying is we're saying, God, you owe me. I didn't deserve this. You owe me. But in that assumption, we're denying the truth. That we are sinners and who deserve nothing and God is a God who loves us, who's given us everything. In reality, what we're doing is we're denying the truth, we're denying the gospel, and we're denying the grace of God. And it's then no wonder why we have no joy. Because we're denying the gospel and denying the grace of God and the love of God, which should change and transform our life. And then instead of being grateful, we become selfish. And in some twisted way, uh, we forget the gospel. We focus on our pain and our trial. And we demand that somehow God owes us. That's what sin is capable of. For completely transforming your mind and my mind. Into thinking the world revolves around me, God owes me. When in reality, we are sinners who have no way to fix our sin problem on our own, except for the grace of God. That's why it's so dangerous. Here, quickly, let me share what's going on back in our text here in in in, uh, in verse eleven. Um, Go right back in our text. It's the Pharisees, they came to Jesus looking for a sign. The reason Jesus left him and he sighed, they were looking for a, a sign. They said, they said, give us another sign. Show us another miracle. Show us one more thing. Why? Why? Because They thought they had everything figured out. They didn't want the righteousness of God. They didn't need the righteousness of God. They wanted a God who would come. The sign they wanted was Jesus, or not Jesus, but the Messiah coming back to conquer the Romans. And then reward them for how good a life they lived. They were wanting the Messiah to come back to say, hey, thank you, Pharisees, for the good job that you've been doing. Because their world revolved around them. And because God didn't do it the way they wanted it done, they thought God owed them. They were bitter. They were angry. They wanted it their way. They wanted a different sign. Jesus said, no, I'm not giving you that sign. In fact, He told them, and later on, if you look, I believe it's Matthew, He told them, I will give you a sign. You get one sign. The sign gets one sign, and it's the sign of the prophet Jonah. I say, what in the world does that have to do? Jonah spent three days in the fish, and then he came out again. <laughs> Jesus spent three days... In the grave and he came out again. He died for our sins. He conquered death and hell. And he rose again powerfully and triumphantly. And today that is the only sign that you need as well. You don't need God to prove himself any other way that he loves you. Other than what He's already proven to you. You may say, God, you owe me. You just, I deserve this in my life. God says, no, you don't deserve anything else in your life. I've already proved I love you 2,000 years ago at the cross. Where I died for your sins and I rose again from the dead. And that's the only sign that you're getting. It's the only sign I'm getting. And today the good news is that's the only sign that we need is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He paid for our sin on the cross. He rose again from the dead. And today you and I can be forgiven, not because of how good we live, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. We can be forgiven. And see, this is what does. This is what the grace of God and what the gospel does. Today, the only solution to our sin is the gospel. And today, the only thing you need is the gospel. All we need is the grace of God. And today that transforms us. It transforms us into, 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 into different people. Why? Here's why it transforms us and how it transforms us as we finish up. When my mind is focused on me, when my world is revolving around me, sin is dominating my life, hidden on the inside. It's spreading out of control and I don't even know it. And it's eating away the joy. I start to live a bitter, uh, discontented life. The alternative, though, is my world revolves around Jesus and serving other people. And when my world revolves around Jesus, and I'm focused instead of on me, focused on the gospel, focused on the grace of God, here's what happens. I'm not bitter anymore. Why? Because Jesus loves me. And I didn't deserve it. I'm not angry anymore. Why? Because God Himself humbled Himself and became a servant. And went to the cross to bear every sin that I will ever commit. How can I be bitter or angry when there's somebody who loved me that much? See, that's what the grace of God does in our life and in our heart. When we focus on it, it transforms us. The gospel, it transforms us and changes us. When we, again, we change our focus. There was a guy who came and told his friend, he said, I did something for you this week. So what do you do for me? He said, "I paid one of your bills." So, wow, man, thank you so much. I, I, I appreciate that. So, what, what, you know, I mean, because if you maybe if you're the one in your family who keeps the checkbook, what do you want to know? <laughs> Which bill did you pay? <laughs> what check don't I need to write this week? Right? You ask. Well, was it? Uh, was it my phone bill? Maybe. No, nope, wasn't your phone bill. Okay, was it? Uh, was it my insurance payment? No, it wasn't your insurance payment. Was it my electric bill? No, it wasn't your electric bill. Was it my mortgage? Yeah, kind of. Wow, it's a pretty big payment. You're thinking in your mind. And you say, wow, that, thank you so much. That's 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 massive. Nobody's ever done something like that for me. And then they say, Yeah, I I paid your mortgage, but I didn't just pay this month's payment. I paid off the entire mortgage. You never have to send another check to the bank again for your house. What happens then? If it was me, I'd probably be completely and utterly and totally speechless. Why? Why? Because nobody's ever done something like that for me. But in reality, somebody has done something far, far, far greater. The Son of God came and gave His life on a cross so you and I could be forgiven. He paid the greatest debt that you and I will ever owe. And when we focus on that, And the fact that we are forgiven through the blood of Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross. How can we not be grateful and full of joy and full of humility as we focus on Christ? So today my challenge to you is simple. Be amazed by the gospel. Be amazed by the gospel. Be amazed by Jesus. Be amazed at what He's done. And always keep your life and heart focused on Him. And on other people. And as soon as you realize your heart is focusing on yourself. Take warning. Take warning. Sin is hidden. It's spreading. And it will destroy every part of your life.